45 minutes, keep it short, tell the story, get a bit controversial, try and get sued by Robert Wagner. He fucking murdered her! Hello and welcome to the Movie Chef Dark Desserts, the first in an episode of mm. thank you of <laughs> Tales of the Dark and Sexy and I should have wrote an introduction really for this one. Really, you think you think this story's sexy? <laughs> you fucking sick bastard! <laughs> Dark and seedy and sexual and penises <laughs> and stuff and curses and behind the scenes and murder and intrigue so we're going to be telling stories every so often under uh, dark desserts we're going to serve you up a dessert that is uh, this week i think there's a little bit of intrigue in there isn't there a tiny bit don't don't expect you know karina longworth stories or sultry you know narratives you know don't expect cohesion that's all i'm saying just expect expect the usual uh, level of professionalism that me and paul give you which is zero well, like I say, we're going to be covering stories um, later on. I know you wanted to talk about the uh, Fatty Arbuckle trial uh, mm-hmm. back from the 20s and 30s. Um, I want to look at um, the making of The Exorcist uh, and everything that goes with that. There are some really fucked up stories that come from that whole making of the film, from uh, serial killer extras to uh, curses and, and, and everything. So, But this week, Cormac, tell us... Uh, Tell us who's going to be the first dark dessert that we, the movie chefs serve up. Well, the, the first dark dessert is going to be a mixture between uh, Natalie Wood, Christopher Walken, and the wag, Robert Wagner, the wag man. Uh, yeah, so we're talking about the death of Natalie Wood. Um, American actress, born of uh, from Russian parents. She was one mm-hmm. of the... Well, not the first, but she was one of the like major sort of breakout child stars, wasn't she? Back in the sort of, she, you know, yeah, and her, like her story is just marred by. <sighs> Looking at it now, it's just so much fucking abuse uh, from her mother. It's t- her earlier years are just. It's a typical story of pushy mother. Uh, you know, has half semi pretty young girl. Uh, it's it's the it's the fifties. 40s 50s um this woman is obviously she tried her mother was a ballerina um, and she didn't really make it which is it's a story of all time mother father don't make it uh, so they push all this shit over to their kids um her mother was a ballerina didn't really make it so then all of a sudden she pushes her her child into acting you know a great story that i i, I got uh, i can't even remember where i was reading it from it might have been the la times um and it basically was a story of her mother used to stand outside uh, active movie studios or sets where people were actually uh, doing something. And how Natalie got her first job, she was four years old. Her mother pushed her up to uh, the cordon as to where they were filming. And she tried to get the attention of the director who was filming at the time. She waved them over, he paid no attention to her. Uh, the security guard kind of seen her pushing past everybody and kind of calmed her down a wee bit. But she whispered into Natalie's ear to run over to the director and sing him a song. And of course, she's four years old. She's going to do it. 
So she ran over and sang a song in front of this 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 man, and obviously the man loved her. And you know they all think you know they've got the next big thing whenever they have these cute wee girls. Uh, but she got a job out of it, and that was her first that was her first semi audition. Um, you know it's it's kind of it's kind of sick. Yeah, she was the daughter of uh, Russian immigrants who'd come over um, from the Russian Civil War. So they were a very um, poor family, uh, quite impoverished, um, no money to give her acting lessons, but absolutely that, you know, they wanted her to be a star, especially a mother. Um, and she finally got a, a break. Well, she got, she made a film, film debut in Happy Land in 1943. Um, she was five years old. I think that was it. I think that was what, I think that was what the film was. But you know, her early life, you know, you got to kind of look into the mysticism of maybe, you know, Russia and, and the way that people was thinking back then. Um, her mother went to numerous fortune tellers uh, at a young age, and her mother was told by a fortune teller that her, da- her daughter would die in dark water and to keep her away from dark water. So this kind of put Natalie, you know, in this weird kind of flux where her mother was actively keeping her away from water. And there was a story of her not actually bathing for months and not being able to wash her own hair because she was absolutely terrified of water. She never went near water. She couldn't go near water. And it was all because of these, you know, fortune tellers, sages, you know, all these Russian folklore things. Well, her sister, um, we'll come on to that in a bit, but her sister had already argued that it was a result of um, uh, an abusive upbringing. Um, The trauma of having to grow up in front of Hollywood. I mean, this was the young girl from the first Miracle on 34th Street. It was a, an insanely huge film in 1947. And well, do you know what do you know what I forgot that she was in as well? I forgot that she was the missing girl in the searchers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely it, it blew my mind when I read that and I was like, fuck me. I, I couldn't I, that you look at you look at the you know even her later on you know, uh, when she's working with, with Jimmy Dean and Rebel Without a Cause, and she's working with John Ford and The Searchers, uh, you know, and she's Maria in West Side Story. You know, it, these are fucking transcendent movies. Like, these these are these are hugely important movies in Hollywood, and it just goes to show how how much of a star Natalie Wood was. And then you're saying there, she's in her first movie at five years old. To hold that, to hold that stardom for such a, such a long length of time, like, that's insane. And she was um, apparently very intelligent as well. The uh, Back in that era, um, movie laws said if you're going to hire children, you've got to have them um, have at least sort of three to five hours of school in a day while they're on set. They have to be given mm-hmm. education. And apparently Natalie Wood was a you know, straight-A student, um, you know, a fantastic intellect. And like you say, she took on some huge roles, films that, you know... West Side Story, Rebel Without a Cause, you might immediately think of other things to do with them. You might not immediately think that's a Natalie Wood film because it wasn't back then. That was a James Dean film. It was yeah. a, a Oscar-winning musical, but it wasn't sort of a Natalie Wood film. But um, she, she went on to have so much success um, all the way through. I mean, through the 50s, any sort of kind of um, musical. Three times three time nominated for, for Oscars. You know, she's, she won two Golden Globes, three times nominated for Oscars. You know, she was she was a bona fide star. You know, she obviously growing up in the fifties. You know, I think she, her and Robert Wagner, um, they actually met around nineteen fifty six. She seen him for the first time when she apparently she was sixteen years of age, and I think he was twenty three at the time. 
Um, but you know, they were married in 1957, um, but they were separated uh, by 1961. Um, I read a few sources. Now, when I do one of these, I do little deep dives and I try to get as much of the story as possible. I've I've seen so basically yeah so we've, we've covered quite a lot there but um you know she was still was she just eighteen when she married Robert Wagner yeah still eighteen he was six eight years older than her um and apparently it was quite a uh, a loving relationship at first but then it got quite volatile lots of jealousy on Wagner's part but it, it screams of one of those studio relationships doesn't it you know and, and yeah. It, yeah, um, I won't. I won't. I won't. I won't suggest. You know, you'd think maybe you know an older man being set up with a young girl. He may have had a certain outlook on it, and um, she was obviously you know very attractive and very and well regarded by other people. And she was she a willing participant? Well, well, obviously they were married twice, so she must have been. <laughs> um, but um, apparently, got very jealous of her relationship with Warren Beatty around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, Warren Beatty, the, the height. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? I'd fuck Warren Beatty. Back then, not now. He's, he's kind of old and craggy now. Like. But then moving on through that sort of next era, she had quite a lot of sort of hits and misses. It was kind of a, she almost fell on hard times. Um, she had I, think, a, I think it was that one where she kind of stopped acting for a while, didn't she? Yeah. She was basically suffering emotionally and... Um, during from about nineteen mid nineteen sixties, um, she was paid off by Warner Brothers to cancel a contract, and she was able to retire. Um, you know, took a three year break from acting. Um, it, it was quite a. You kind of sometimes think when people talk about you know the olden days and they didn't care about people or whatnot, but Warner obviously saw something back then where she needed to retire. She needed to step away and to reckon. Yeah paying her off and saying off you go and it's not so much some people might see that as casting her off but you know i'd have thought some some studios back then maybe they would have been so ruthless to say get on with it so to say yeah that she had to take that break in the mid 60s but i think it's part and parcel to do with growing up as you know a child star as well you know you've been thrust into uh into fame you then go on to marry probably one of the most famous men in America, uh, you know, a huge star in his own right. You know, uh, you become maybe, obviously back in the time, you probably became a wee bit of a shadow to your husband in a way, uh, where your, your, your star has shone so brightly for so long by yourself. You know, you're a, you're a named uh, artist on, you know, many, many feature films, you know, very, very successful feature films and you're a very successful actress. But all of a sudden you're you come as a couple and maybe just because of the times and because, you know, you're married, you, you then just become, you know, a bit of arm candy for your husband. And, you know, probably you're talking a little bit of a mental health issue, um, you know, with with her. Biography.com said uh, she had years of therapy. Um, and she attempted apparently to kill herself with a drug overdose in 66. Um, as part of her recovery, she took a break from making films. Um, and in 1969, she married Richard Gregson, a writer and producer. And they had a daughter, Natasha, shortly after. Um, but it was around the early 70s when she divorced um, Gregson and decided to remarry Wagner. Yeah, they met, they met again at a party, um, apparently. 
um, and ten years after, yeah, they they divorced. They got back together, and everything seemed to be uh, super duper duper happy again. Yeah. So Wood was doing um, all sorts of different films at that time. So when she first made a comeback, um, it was in uh, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice in '69 with themes of wife swapping and swinging sixties and everything like that. And yeah. Down to down to down. Some hits and misses, um, nothing along the, the lines of the earlier stuff she'd been in. Uh, Meteor, The Last Married Couple in America, um, and then the final film that she was filming at the time of her death was uh, Brainstorm with Christopher mm-hmm. Walken. Mm-hmm. Well, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to pick up a little bit of a story, okay? So it was, it's 1941, uh, she took the role for Brainstorm. Um, so she's starring opposite Christopher Walken and Walken's just come off Deer Hunter so he's just come off Deer Hunter he's just won uh, an Academy Award for Deer Hunter um, so the two of them hit it off straight away young, Walken's a wee bit younger than what Natalie was um, but they become close to each other kind of on the set anyway um, now one of the reasons why Natalie and uh, Rod Wagner broke up in 1961 was the fact that he was very 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 possessive he was very jealous. He was quick to the drink, um, and he got very, very angry, very, very volatile, very, very quickly. Um, so, what Wagner wanted to do was he wanted to kind of prove to everybody that he wasn't that kind of guy anymore. Um, so he decided, uh, and he invited Christopher Walken uh, up on his boat in Catalina Island. So I think it was about twenty uh, seventh of November. Uh, they spent the, the day sailing from LA to Catalina. Uh, and they get up to Catalina. Uh, and do you want to say them? Well, all I was going to say was, from here we'll say what the official version of events is of that night. Okay. We can obviously go to what more has been revealed and our own interpretation of what we know now, but we'll start. Okay, well, do you know what? Do you want to do, do, you want to do the official, and I'll do the, the, the other? Right, okay. So... Um, it was the night of November 28th, 1981. Um, the boat left Harbour Patrol uh, around after having a meal at 10.30. Um, toxicology reports uh, suggested Wood's death had, at time of Wood's death, she had a blood, blood alcohol content of 0.14. I'm no expert. She probably had a couple of glasses of wine at dinner. She was hammered. <laughs> um Around 11.05 that evening, other passengers realised that Woods had gone missing and people went to look for her. On the boat at the time was uh, the captain. Dennis. Will, Dennis, who we'll hear about soon. Uh, Robert Wagner, Natalie Wood and Christopher Walken. Hey, Christopher Walken. <laughs> On the uh, into November 29th at around 1.30, a ship shore call was made and two hours later the Coast Guard was finally called. That was roughly four hours after she first went missing. Um, around this time, they'd realised that the boat's dinghy had also gone. This is now uh, about midnight, 1am 1, 1 in winter. Um, the Coast Guard were called the continued search, and around 8am, Woods's body was found a mile south of the uh, couple's yacht uh, off an island called Cavern Point. Um, on the 30th of November, Do- uh, Dr. Joseph Choi performed a autopsy, um, resulting in blood alcohol levels, several bruises on her arms, legs and face, believed to be consistent with a fall overboard while she was trying to, t- t- trying to board the dinghy. 
the office ruled the death of an, as an accident. Um, it can also be said that there's a couple of explanations. Uh, there are people who have heard from uh, another boat not so far away that they were screaming and screams. Um, Wagner will come on to well, come on to that in a minute. But what we know about the night as well that there was another suggestion that Natalie Wood was drunk and decided to get in the dinghy and sail away from the yacht to get some space. Terrified of water. Terrified of water. Okay, so we're going to go there. We're, yeah, I'm. At first, I was kind of like, you know, I think you're being. I think this is one of Cormac's, you know, Christopher <laughs> and Robert Wagner things. You know, it's just a. A, a, a nudge and a wink, but nothing can ever be proved. And the more you read about this story, mm -hmm. more than a young girl, a young woman who was drunk, who decided to go sailing at one in the morning. Yeah. So. So now this story has came out. Uh, I think it was ninety three. Uh, and then in 2011. So what I'm going to tell you is an official story from a couple of people's points of view. So they get the Catalina uh, on the 27th uh, after spending the day sailing. So the first night they spend on the island, uh, they go to a restaurant on Catalina Island and all's well. So they start drinking. Uh, Wagner, once again, shows his true feelings. Uh, when they get back to the boat, uh, Wagner decides that he wants to move the boat. So he is, at this point, to put it mildly, fucking hammered. So Natalie Wood gets annoyed at him that he wants to move the boat whilst he's hammered. Um, so an argument breaks out and he then accuses her of flirting with Christopher Walken. So not awkward at all for anybody on the boat, you know, with Wagner just shouting at Natalie Wood and shouting at Christopher Walken. So she's pissed, basically, at this point. Um, and she wants to go back home. She wants to get back to LA. Um, so she gets Dennis, uh, the captain, uh, to take her back to Catalina Island, and she wants to get a she wants to get a, a plane home. So she tries to get in touch with the pilots. She can't really get. She finally gets in touch with one of them, and they basically tell her, "Listen, slide on. It's one o'clock in the morning. And we're not going anywhere." So she doesn't want to go back to the boat. She refuses to go back to the boat. Uh, she then books two rooms. So these two rooms were in a hotel on Catalina Island, um, but her and Dennis stayed in the one room together. I'm not saying anything happened between the both of them, but they both stayed in the same room. He said later that they spent the whole night talking. Um, what she told him was that she was scared of Wagner and that she wanted a divorce. So next day, the booze haze is kind of lifted. Um, she decides that she wants to go reconcile back with Wag, right? So her and Dennis get back in the dinghy, get back over to the Splendor, which is the name of the boat. Um, so they return back and Wagner and her uh, start talking it out. And apparently this is quite a regular occurrence. Apparently they do, both of them fly off the handle quite. They've got really, really heated tempers, both of them. So they fly off the handle quite quickly, but they are very, very quick to make up with each other. Like they, they try to lock it in as quick as they can. And this is what they do at this time. So Wag then moves the boat. And I hear you talking, you speaking about the, the couple who heard the screaming. Um, so this becomes more prevalent to their story because he does move the boat closer to that boat. So um, what they do then is they decide to have lunch on the boat. 
So her, Wag, walking, all decided to have lunch. So they had a few drinks, but nothing overboard. You know, they had enough food to fill them. They had enough booze to kind of make them a wee bit sleepy. So they all decide to take a nap on the boat. So Wag passed out completely because he had been drinking basically all night. And then he took it up again. So he fucking passes out. Natalie and walking. Natalie and Chris wake up and they decide, you know what, we'll leave the wag lying there and we'll go in to Catalina Island. We'll go back to the restaurant. We'll have a few drinks. We'll have something to eat. The jobs are good and brilliant. So they leave a note for the wag and they decide to go in the island. The wag wakes up. The wag ain't happy. Like, what the fuck's going on? My wife, my wife is woken up. She's not woken me up and neither two of them are, are back into this restaurant. So wag gets up, gets the harbour master, gets a boat out to him brings him back into the restaurant. So he goes into the restaurant. He's iffy at the start, um, but they decide then that they would sit down and they'd have something to drink and something to eat. Um, now, the restaurant staff have said that what they had was two bottles of wine, two bottles of champagne, and many, many strawberry daiquiris. So they're literally just topping up from, from the boat. They had lunch. They're, they're topping up from the night before. They're topping up from, from their lunch. And, and at this point, you think about it, right? You're out for a session and you drink. Then you go and sleep for a couple of hours and you wake up. You're not sober. Like, but you're not sober by a long shot. You know, all you're doing is literally just topping yourself up. That's it. Any questions so far? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm sat listening to a bloke down pub just telling me about, no, go on. <laughs> so after a long time, uh, they're all once again hammered. Um, the the staff in the restaurant ring uh, the harbour master, Doug Bombard. Doug Bombard owns the restaurant, right? So he's a friend of Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner. So he decides that he's going to bring them back out to the boat because they can't do, they can't steer their own boat back out to the Splendor because again they're all fucking hammered, right? So they get back there and. At this point, Natalie and the wag are, are biting at each other. They're getting into each other. They're angry with each other. So they get on the boat and Natalie and walking spend a little time talking to each other. And, and this is when the wag blows his top. This is when he smashes a bottle of red wine against the wall and shouts at walking and says, are you trying to fuck my wife? So at this point, he is pissed. Now, the thing about this is that Robert Wagner never admitted to that. He always said that, that, that he never smashed a bottle of wine, that he never shouted at Christopher Walken. But in his 2008 autobiography, Pieces of My Heart, he finally admitted that that happened. Now, I'm not too sure if he admitted that he, he said to him, you know, are you trying to fuck my wife? But he definitely admitted that he smashed a bottle of wine and that he was angry. So uh, stories can change from time to time, but that's a massive part of it because he's forever pleading that him and Natalie weren't really on bad terms, whatever. So they argued for a few hours. Uh, Dennis, who was back on the boat at this stage, comes down and tries to calm everything down. Um, but Wag and Natalie are into a fight and he, he cannot stop it at this point. So he goes to his own wee part of the boat and basically turns up the music in his cabin. He cannot deal with the fighting anymore. So about midnight, the fighting stops. And Dennis comes downstairs just to make sure that everyone's okay. And he finds Robert Wagner. Now, again, this is his story. He finds Robert Wagner crying by the ladder where the dinghy should be. So Wagner then tells Dennis that Natalie has gone missing. So 
Dennis is kind of confused because 15, 20 minutes ago, he'd heard them arguing. And then all of a sudden now that she's gone missing. So he asks Robert, do you want to turn the searchlight on? We'll get the searchlight on. We'll, we'll check for, you know, let's call Coast Guard, blah, blah, blah. And the wag holds him back and goes, no, listen, she's just angry. You know, let her have her own space. You know, she's just, she's flown off the handles. You know, I've done this, I've done that. The way I read that, and again, I don't have the source of it, but it was more along the lines of Wagner saying, leave her there. She needs to learn a lesson. Yeah, I'm going to get into that a wee bit later. I'm going to yeah. get into that a wee bit. But anyway, so they decide to drink a bottle of scotch. While his wife's in the in the sea, possibly. While his wife is in the sea, well, Dennis doesn't even know where she is at this point. She could be in the dinghy, she could be at sea, and all obviously under the guise of Natalie is fucking terrified of water, and she would never go into the water by herself, knowingly or willingly. Um, so they have a bottle of scotch. They wait about an hour before they decide to do anything. So they ring the island to see if Natalie has turned up in the dinghy to the island, because that's obviously what Wag has told Dennis that he thinks is going to happen. Um, so Dennis again decides, you know, do we need to ring the Coast Guard? Wag refused. And it wasn't until 3.30 in the morning that they finally rang the Coast Guard. So this is three and a half hours, potentially, after Natalie Wood has, has got into a dinghy and basically just disappeared. So the Coast Guard come, and it's actually Doug Bombard, the harbour master, who finds uh, the body. So he finds Natalie Wood's body at about half seven. Um, what he described was that he'd found something uh, and he'd found a coat with a body attached. Um, so it was Doug Bombard who found her. Now, during the autopsy, what they actually found was that her fingers were movable and her, her body wasn't bloated. So it was determined that she was dead for less than three hours when Doug Bombard found her. So if Wagner had rang the Coast Guard, if he'd gotten in touch with Doug Bombard at the time she'd gone missing, Natalie Wood would probably still be alive today. On the 22nd of November 2011, um, an interview on today.com with Dennis Deverne, the ship's captain, he said... I made some terrible decisions and mistakes with regards to his statement. I did lie on a report several years ago. He added, I made mistakes by not telling the honest truth in a police report. When pressed, Deverne said he believed Wagner had intentionally kept the investigation into her death low profile. And when asked if he thought Wagner was responsible, in quotation marks, for Wood's death, Deverne said, yes, I would say so. We didn't take any steps to see if we could locate her, Deverne added. I think it was a matter of we're not going to look too hard. We're not going to turn on the searchlight. We're not going to notify anybody right now. Yeah. So basically the autopsy is complete. And as you said earlier on, she's heavily, you know, intoxicated. She's two times over the legal limit. Um, they also find uh, motion sickness tablets and painkillers in her system. And the painkillers shouldn't be mixed with alcohol. Um, as you alluded to, she was fine with bruises on her arms and bruises on her face, which they put down to, you know, the way she fell from the boat. Um, but they also found that the dinghy had fingernail scratches on the side, you know, as if somebody was struggling to get back into the boat. So her death was then put down as uh, an accident. Now, this is the story that you were alluding to. 
So there was a guy called John Payne um, and his girlfriend, Marilyn Wayne. And I know that's a fucking nightmare to try and say together. John Payne, Marilyn Wayne. Um, so they contacted the police uh, and told them their account. So they were in a boat, um, probably about 600, 700 yards away on the exact same night. So around or just before midnight, they heard a woman crying um, and she was saying, help me, please help me. So they tried to use their searchlight but their searchlight wasn't powerful enough. It was too dark. They couldn't get past. Um, so they couldn't see anything. So the police, they rang the police and the police were going to send a helicopter uh, out to see if they could find anyone. But the guy who could fly the helicopter had quit two weeks previously. So there was nobody to fly the helicopter. And the police basically came out and said, she never, when Marilyn rang the police, she never left the number. You know, this was back, obviously, in the early 80s. So they didn't have caller ID. So they couldn't call her back to say, you know, sorry, the the, the pilots quit. You know, we can't we can't get out to it. Um, so a couple put the phone down and they heard a male slurred voice shouting, don't worry, we're coming to get you. So they heard this multiple times. And after about 15 minutes, the woman's voice stopped. She stopped here. Couldn't hear him anymore, please. Couldn't hear anything else. So they had just assumed that the male voice had taken the female voice out of the water. Now, when they came out with the story, the coroner actually called them liars and the police called them liars and that they were probably only wanted their, their 15 minutes of fame. But both of them came out later and basically said, we'll take lie detector test. If you don't, if you don't believe us, we'll take a polygraph and you know, we, will, we will put our story on the record you know, if, if this isn't uh, what you want. Now, again, this story now is coming out in 2011. So for the 30 years previous, Wagner and, and Dennis lawyered up and surprise, surprise, it was Wagner who paid for Dennis's lawyers. Don't surprise me. No. So, you know, you look at it in two ways. You look at it in two ways. Um, these are two highly volatile uh you know stars these are two people who are probably massively intoxicated um these are two people who probably regularly take painkillers regularly take motion sickness pills or whatever they are stars you know these stars you fucking all these drugs that they have in their systems you know you have to break it down to number one can you believe robert wagner's account i i think no, no. number two number two can we believe that Robert Wagner may have been so heavily intoxicated that he didn't know what he was doing? Number, number three, did he know what he was doing? Did he put Natalie in the boat and to punish her? You know, fuck you, I'm going to keep you in this water. If you think, you know, you're going to talk to me like that, if you're going to fucking flirt with another man on a boat in front of me like this, you know, you're, you're going to fucking suffer. I'm going to put you in the water. I'm going to put you in a position that I know that you're fucking terrified of, that I know that you'll hate. And that's the water, you know, but at the end of the day, a lot of stories and a lot of things can be told over the years. Um, but I, I, for me, I would probably believe number three, I would believe that it was a punishment uh, that went too far. There's also the fact that at the time, the um, coroner, who I don't have the name of right now, and I've just lost it on my phone, but the coroner seemed to enjoy the spotlight 
an awful. He was a, he, yeah, he was a Hollywood coroner, wasn't he? <laughs> that was everything. He was. Um, he'd done the. He'd done the autopsy for, for numerous different people and Mar- uh, Marla Monroe, James Dean, all of them. Yeah, he was the he was the Hollywood coroner. And he, and he was sort of very quick to say, you know, some bruises on uh, Natalie Woods' legs and uh, on wrists especially were caused by what he could, what he hypothesised, what he suggested at the time could be a struggle or some kind of interaction disagreement. And he kind of put a little, he tried to put a little bit of zazz in it, didn't he? And he kind of moved towards Robert Wagner before anything was known. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until 2013 when the um, sheriffs actually changed the cause of death now the, the official sort of autopsy was accidental drowning um, and then it was 2013 after this change of statement from the, the captain from Dennis where the cause of death uh, was changed from accidental drowning to drowning and other undetermined factors yeah, it's like an open it's like an they call, I think they call it an open verdict yeah so, so they yeah. found that there were bruises which consisted of um falling out of you know fall trying fall trying to get back into a boat as opposed to being pushed out she was struggling at the time rather mm-hmm. than just you know having sailed the boat out um uh, and then of course you know is wagner's loyal lawyered up um and in 2018 um it was officially named as interest in wood's death for the first time uh, mm-hmm. the police county sheriff's department lieutenant john Cor- corina uh, disclosed on an episode of CBS, 40, uh, CBS News. Um, and then there's recently been a, a documentary as well. And this is uh, Natalie's sister, Lana, that's fought for this, this whole time. Um, very much insistent that all three men on that boat that night had a part to play. Um, you know, the, the captain has gone on record as saying he saw Wagner... Um, in tears, sweating, like he'd just been in a fight. The dinghy had been pushed away. Um, Lana didn't know where she was. She'd possibly gone overboard, possibly um, whatever. He's come out and said that. Walken has said he heard an argument on board um, and then they couldn't find Natalie. Um, and Wagner said Natalie went to went to shore in the boat or went for a, a midnight a midnight sail. Um, a, midnight, a midnight tryst, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, her, but that's the thing, though. Her her mother and and her sister Lana were were two of the biggest advocates because they basically from day dot blamed Wagner and said you you murdered my daughter. Like uh, for right for wrong, whether you meant it or not, you're the one who murdered my daughter. And obviously, we can't make decisions forty years after the fact. And let's be quite honest, we'll probably never know. You know, we'll probably never know, um, you know, what what actually went down and what actually happened. You know, the case, they closed the case two weeks after her body was found. Two two weeks. And the boat had actually been resold um, three yeah. times since then. 30 yeah. years past, you're never going to find any evidence now. But um, f- from from having read about this, I personally think Walker knew there was an argument on an argument there. And he's probably kept quiet about the extent of the aggression of the argument. I don't, mm. I don't think he sat there and watched Wagner push her overboard. No, no, I don't think either. I, th- I think as you're thinking, I think that Wagner, you, we've all been in the situation. We've all been in the situation where we've been out with a mate and he starts fucking arguing with his missus. Like we've all been in that situation. What do you do? You, you fuck off. Leave him to it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you fuck off. You go away. I don't want to fucking listen to this shit. You know, uh, Wagner had been drinking all day. 
Um, like you say, couple arguing, fuck this, I'm out of here. The captain yeah. on the side of boat, them two are there, and I, I do believe now from reading all this, and like I say, we'll never know, um, but what has been the death of Natalie Wood, um, I think could well be the murder of Natalie Wood. I, I think that it was more likely that it was an accidental murder, uh, but but I believe that it was more likely cruelty. Um, I think that she was more than likely put into the boat as a punishment um, because, you know, let's be honest, he, he knew, he's, he's known her for fucking, what, 30 years? Yeah. You know, he, he knows that one of her biggest fears is water um, and he's put her in the water and basically went, you know, there you go, you fucking deal with that. You fucking, you, you've done this to me, fucking flirting with another man in front of me, you know, fucking fuck you, put, get you in that boat. And I think probably after about 10, 15 minutes, he's realized that she's no longer near my boat and I don't know where she is. And she's in the middle of fucking Catalina Island uh, in the middle here. And I don't know where she is. And I think that's when the realization hit him. Um, I don't know if he meant it. I don't think anybody's ever going to be able to prove that. Um, but to not contact the Coast Guard straight away, uh, to not allow somebody else to contact the Coast Guard and then to find out that rigor mortis hadn't even set into her body yet, that she more than likely survived in the water for two, three hours um, before, maybe even longer, three, four hours, and then succumbing to the cold, maybe passing out, um, and then, you know, just drowning, you know, which is overall so fucking sad. Um, but this is what happens, you know, you mix fucking alcohol, you mix drugs and you mix jealousy and, you know, it's a perfect cocktail. Oh, I'm, she had, she had caffeine in her stomach. Like you say, she had the seasickness tablet, she had caffeine uh, and she had alcohol. Um, I, I have never once looked at this and thought it's her fault for getting drunk. No. And it's not misadventure either. You know, where people say if all oh, they were both drunk and an accident happened, Nah, his his actions and his, then uh, again, but why would why would the captain lie though? Let's look at it from another point of view. Is the captain lying? Yeah, but even even if he had the wherewithal, if he had the wherewithal to let her go into the water, hammered, knowing that she was afraid of water, knowing that she wasn't, you know, a swimmer, knowing that she wasn't competent, even, you know, within a boat, you know, if, if you know all that, that is another level of cruelty. And we're not even, you know, talking about the suspect of, has he put her in the boat and put her in the situation? If she's just got into the boat, if she's gone into the boat by herself, you know yourself, if you have a missus and you know that, you know, if, if it's the middle of the fucking night, it's midnight, both of these are hammered, you know, are you going to allow your missus onto a boat and to fucking sail away by herself? No, you're not going to allow that to happen. You know, so it's either neglect, spousal neglect in that terms, or or spousal fucking cruelty. You know, is what it is. And again, I, I think it's probably your man Dennis has just become you know a, a cog in this. I think he's probably you know when he's gone to Wagner and said, "Well, we ring the Coast Guard." Wagner's went, "No." You know, any normal human being would go, "Well, you know what." fuck you, I'm ringing the Coast Guard, you know, so a bit of pressure's probably been put on him by Wagner's lawyers going, listen, 
you're fucking part and parcel of this as well. You know, both of us didn't call the Coast Guard. Both of us didn't turn the searchlights on. You know, it's not just me. So either you fucking keep your mouth shut about the fighting um, or, you know, we're both going to go down for this. And I'm a fucking Hollywood star and I can look after myself. Well, let's uh, let's end it with um, words about Natalie. And you mentioned before, um, three-time Academy Award nominated mm-hmm. actress. Um, 1956, Rebel Without a Cause, Splendor in the Grass for an actress in a leading role, um, and 1964, Love with a Proper Stranger. Um, she was in the uh, From Here to Eternity, the TV series of that. Um, she was, of course, in West Side Story, uh, Gypsy mm-hmm. in 1962, um, and a funeral was held attended by a hell of a lot of famous people. Elizabeth Taylor, Fred Astaire, Frank Sinatra, who I did read one story, but I didn't read enough of it to mention it. I, I, yeah, do you know what? I read the same story, story about, uh, yeah, strong arming, strong arming the autopsy guy. Yeah, I read the same one. Um, uh, but look, she was a wonderful, wonderful actress, um, fought from the ground up to become a, a superstar, um, fell in love, um, and it ended in tragedy. Mur- 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 m- murder? Fucking Natalie Wood was murdered. Come and sue us, Robert Wagner. <laughs> Fuck you, Wag. You're idiot. I'd beat the shit out of you. Probably not. He's probably still got muscles. But so is this. We've got fuck all anyway. Right. Um, so there's the murder of Natalie Wood. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I do believe that. I think, you know, maybe, look, we'll never know. It is a mystery. Never. Role, isn't never. It? Um, I mean, it was sort of. Do you remember seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah. So, you know, with uh, the scene where uh, Brad Pitt's character's got uh, his wife on the boat and he accidentally harpoons her, even though she's around mm-hmm. his mouth. And there was suggestion, you know, guy killing his wife on a boat. People think he murdered her. Some people think it was an accident, you know? Yeah. It was a, a sort of an inside joke towards Natalie Wood's death there, and uh, I didn't, I didn't make any connection to that to be honest when I was first watching it. But it is one of those things in Hollywood. It's you know, it's a massive story, and it's a massive mystery, and no one will ever know. Uh, and it's you're not talking about sort of three guys, you know, like um, okay, I'm not even going to go there, but you know, some some mysteries, you know, some certain death mysteries where there's a couple of people no one's ever heard of, but you always hear those ones, those stories where you know you got Christopher Walker, Rob on a boat with Natalie Wood. You got John Belushi. Was it? Um, uh, for crying out loud, Robert De Niro. Robin Williams. Robin Williams was it? Who was the last one to go see him before he died? Yeah. Um, and you just think this is for as much as the superstars and the famous. These are normal people who were working and together and drinking together and hung out and um, sad, very sad tragedy. But uh, so, next episode of Dark Desserts. Have we decided yet? It's not going to be for a month. I think we have. I think we have. I think we'll do. Well, I, I think we might do the Exorcist. I like the Exorcist. The Exorcist. So we're going to do the um, the making of the Exorcist. Everything. The and this is going to be like I say a very dark tale. We're going to be talking about serial killer extras. Uh, we're going to be talking about a horrendous auditioning. Um, and a whole lot of curses and deaths 
all linked to the film. So we're going to talk some juicy stuff there. Um, what would you recommend for people to go watch then for Natalie Wood? Um, see, I'm a massive fan of Rebel because I think James Dean is awesome, but I also love Dennis Hopper in, in Rebel. Um, I think she's probably uh, give her best performance in, in West Side Story. Um, For me, it's got to be West Side Story. Um, yeah. But unbelievable. Yeah, so... But but she's not long in The Searchers, but if you just want to watch a fucking great movie, go watch The Searchers, because it's fucking great. Um, so that's the end of this week's Dark Desserts. Join us next week for um, a normal episode of the Movie Shed podcast where we're discussing the Thor, Thor trilogy. Thor! Thor trilogy, uh, wrapping up. The maybe, just talk, maybe just talking about two movies. We'll just leave out one of them. But we're thinking about different movies right now, aren't we? No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a movie that me and you went to see together in the cinema. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe how excited I was to go see it and it was garbage. Where, where we looked at each other and went, yeah. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Uh, see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. You sorry, say, no, no, no. You, you say that uh, you, you and Robert Wagner came up with a story together. You concocted some sort of story and lied to police investigators when they asked what had happened. Uh, what did he allegedly ask you to say? Well, we, we necessarily really didn't lie. We just didn't tell everything. And it was agreed that what we spoke about between the three of us is that what we were going to tell the investigators. So you had a conversation about what you were going to tell investigators? Is that right? Yes. And what was that we, conversation? Um, well, what did you agree to say? Just that um, the argument carried on into the stateroom, to the aft deck, and that Natalie... Uh, was going to untie the dinghy to to uh, secure it to the boat because it was bothering her sleep and that uh, she must have slipped and fell and bumped her head and went into the water. So all three of you agreed to this story that this is what you would tell investigators. Is that right? That Robert Wagner said yes. this is what we need to say? Is that right? Y yes. So at the time when she was missing, did you suspect that he had pushed her overboard? Did you see any kind of evidence that suggested that he might have physically pushed her overboard? Or was there evidence to think that she had left on her own? There wasn't any kind of evidence at all. I just, I just, wanted, to, I just wanted to go with the theory that, that maybe she did leave the boat because I just, couldn't, I just couldn't face any other way to think at that time. I have talked to everybody. What, what are you, you I don't know. Kevin and of, Ralph, you, you, I don't you, accuse you of anything. You accuse me of murdering her, of taking all these positions. It's incredible. I can't believe that you'd do something like that. I just can't believe it. But, RJ, you've, you've changed your story. I haven't changed you've anything. You've never said anything to me. I you have never, never changed anything. You never for one minute stopped and said, this is what happened. I know it's going to hurt I me. To me, of course, I have stopped and said what happened. No, RJ, you really did. Every, everybody was on. The untimely death of Natalie Wood during the filming of Brainstorm. 
Did that make that entire experience painful for you? Oh, sure. I mean, it was, uh, you know, on, on, on so many, in so many ways, it was a terrible thing. Did having a co-worker and a friend die change your attitude about living, Christopher? Well, I suppose, uh, you know, confrontation with the, the sudden absence of somebody you're working with and know uh, for anybody, you know, it's bound to make a difference in your life, yes, sure. How do you feel about the way the media handled the fact that Natalie Wood did die during the shooting of Brainstorm? How do you think that was dealt with? They handled it, uh, you know, in the only way they could. It was a shocking thing. and. Uh, and uh, I think everything happened that you know was going to happen that way. Do you think that the real story of Natalie Wood's death has actually come out? The real story of her death is that she um, drowned, and uh, nobody knows uh, how she drowned or what happened except. Her. That's what it is. There is no real story. You know, there is. Nobody will ever know.